we've been going through this series we are calling Beholding Jesus. And the whole point of the conversation on Beholding Jesus is we want to look at these moments in the life of Jesus and to ask ourselves, what is the vision that God has for us and how does he draw us into this reality that he wants for us? What is the vision that God has for you, for your life, your family, the place of work that you're in, your identity, who you are on the inside? How does God draw you closer in those things? And we're looking at the life of Jesus and we're looking at different moments through this Lent season. We looked at his baptism in the first week and we said that when, when God spoke at the moment that Jesus was being dipped into the waters of the Jordan and said, this is my son who I love with him, I am well pleased. Those words were not just for Jesus, those words were for all of us. And that if we were to walk in that identity, it would completely transform how we see our lives and how we see the world. And then last week, we looked at the temptations of Jesus. And we saw how when Jesus was led into the wilderness, those temptations reflect the very same struggles we find ourselves in. We find ourselves wrestling about whether we are enough. We find ourselves fearing whether God is going to really provide for us. We find ourselves asking questions about what where to position our lives so that we can actually have an impact. And we saw that how Jesus navigated those temptations was to lean on the Father's identity that he had given him. And this week, we're going to look at another moment in the life of Jesus. And this one um, fits in the category of strange and odd, surprising and mysterious. And I invite us together to jump in and to see what God has for us. So we're going to be reading in Matthew chapter 17, beginning verse 1 to 8. Matthew 17, verse 1 to 8. Uh, in the first service, we weren't able to get it on the screens. So I hope you can check on your device, your phone. Um, but you can listen along as we read. Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17 verse 1 to 8. It says, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, Matthew 17, 1 to 8. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves. There, he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, basically he was interrupted, a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, said this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased, listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground terrified. But Jesus came and touched them and said, get up, do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except 
Jesus. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. You read a passage of scripture like that and you ask yourself what on earth is going on. There's so much um, mystery around the moment, around the location. We're not told the name of the place, although um, scholars have been able to identify it. There's, there's so much going on and it's possible to try and ask ourselves, you know, what does all of this mean? But I want to tell us where we are going so that you can follow along. Um, the passage that we just read reveals to us two things. Number one, it helps us to answer the question, who is Jesus? And then number two, how should I respond? Who is Jesus and how should I respond? You see, when Matthew was writing, Matthew was a Jew and he was writing to primarily a Jewish audience. And the passage that we, we just read would have raised all kinds of red flags for the original readers. Because everything in that passage contains clues about a significant moment that the people were supposed to pay attention to. The location, the people who are there, the timing, the characters and the experience were all significant pointers. It's like Matthew wanted to put a giant neon sign or a billboard and say, pay attention to what's going on here because it's very important. And the moment was not just for Jesus and his disciples. It's also an important moment for us to answer those two questions. But for us to understand why those two questions matter? I want us to look at the opposite of what this moment means. We are told that when Peter, James, John, and Jesus go up to the mountain, we are told that he was transfigured before them. I'm sure all of us have some level of schooling, learned about opposites. We know the opposite of good is? Come on. Good is? Okay, opposite of high is? Low. Opposite of transfigured is? Disfigured. Yes. The opposite of transfigured is disfigured. And for us to understand why this moment of transfiguration was so important, we need to come back to the present. You see, we live in a world that is disfigured. A world that is broken in so many ways. A world that is fragmented and that is falling apart. If you were to look at the lives of people, if you were to look at the systems and the structures that we find ourselves in, if you were to look at the places and the struggles that we experience, all of us can agree that the world that we live in has some cracks in it. That there are things in our world that we wish were different from the way that they are. And into those things, into those spaces where there are cracks, where the world is contorted and disformed and disfigured, is the same exact space and world that Jesus walked in when he stepped into the world. And when he stepped into that world, the world that the disciples lived in, what do you want in a world that is disfigured? You want something that gives you the hope of change. Something that says things will not remain the same and that there is something that can change for the better. 
and the disciples and the people of Israel had been living in that tension. They'd been living with the promise that they were the people of God. But in, within that same promise, they were living in a world that was disfigured and they were asking themselves, who will make things right again? What will make things right again? And so into that world entered Moses, who, was, who came as a deliverer for the people of Israel. And he brought them out of Egypt and sent them into the promised land. Into that world entered Elijah and all the prophets, calling the people back to focus their attention on God. But yet the deliverance of the people was incomplete. The change that they longed for was never actually finished. And so Jesus entered that world and he was trying to set himself apart as the one who had come to finally accomplish the change that the people hoped for. You see, in the world that we live in, when all of us step into our various lives, when you step into the circumstances you find yourself in and you see things broken, all of us want to run to something that offers us a hope of change. So sometimes for some of us, we look at the place that we are in and you say, you know what, I, I, I don't think I'm where I want to be professionally. What, what will take me to the next level, what will take me to the place where I want to be is to go back to school. We look at our relationships and we see places of tension or moments where we, we, we are struggling and, and you're trying to make that relationship work. And so you say, you know what, maybe I'll read a book on, on how to deal with conflict in, in relationships. And maybe that might help me get this relationship to a better place. We look at our own internal struggles, the things where we, the, the spaces inside of us where we feel like, you know what, things are not working the way I want them to. And you say, you know what, I need something to answer the questions that I have. And Jesus stepped into the world of the first century Israel and he said the answers to those questions are not found in something, they are found in someone. And I am that person. But you see, he had to, he had to distinguish himself from everyone who had come before. And in the chapter just before the story that we read in Matthew 17, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asks his disciples, what's the word on the street about who I am? Who do people say I am? You've seen me say these things. You've seen me do these miracles. You've watched me as I have lived with you. Who are people saying that I am? And the disciples um, said, you know what, the, what we are hearing is some people are saying you are J John the Baptist, you've come back to life. Some people are saying that you are Jeremiah, one of the prophets or one, one of the other ones who passed on a long time ago and you have come as a messenger of what we should be waiting for. But then Peter steps into that moment and says, no, 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 Jesus. Jesus asks, who, who do you guys say I am? And Peter steps into that moment and he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, exactly, that's who I am. That is who I am. But it's not coming 
as a declaration from you, Peter, I want you to see it as a revelation from God. That God stepped into life so that he could invite you to join the story that he is telling so that you can experience the life that you long for. That the life that you long for is going to be found when you connect your story to the story that Jesus is telling. The wholeness, the brokenness that you see is going to be finally integrated and put together when your life joins the story of Jesus and begins to partner with him in what he's doing. And so Jesus, to show them how distinguished, how incomparable his identity is from everyone else who had come before. Jesus, to show the disciples and to show us that he's not some recycled messenger. He takes them to the mountain and then he reveals his identity by being, guess what, not disfigured, by being transfigured. Um, I don't know if you enjoy uh, adventure stories and hero stories. Uh, if, you, if you've watched uh, movies about superheroes, the, every superhero has an alter ego. So um, Superman is Clark Kent and uh, Batman is Bruce Wayne, yes? Uh, and Spider-Man is Peter Parker. Uh, and these alter egos are, are not different from the superhero, but they're just a glimpse into who this person is. And so Clark Kent works as a journalist, and you, you know he's living his life, but then when a moment calls for it, his full identity, he peels back the layers and you see Superman. And in the same way, when Jesus was transfigured, the word there for transfigured, what was actually the word that is the same word that we get, metamorphosis. Basically, the difference between a caterpillar and a butterfly. And so Jesus, we are told, goes up to the mountain and his face begins to shine like the sun. His clothes become white as light in a way that no bleach could make them, no armor with power from plus or no sun, sunlight. No sunlight could make them white. And he's completely bright in a way that they could not have seen him before. And what's happening here is the power of God is breaking in and the disciples are seeing for a moment the full identity of not just Jesus, the human they had known, they had walked with, but Jesus, the God who was the author of their story from the beginning. They begin to see for just a moment that Jesus was so much more. Jesus was the ultimate reality that every story was pointing to. They see Superman and not Clark Kent. And this vision of what the disciples saw was so surprising, so transforming, so provocative and disruptive for them that 
it made them lay down their lives. They were willing to completely surrender everything to help everyone see this vision of Jesus. You see, if Jesus is who he said he was, if the identity of Jesus was truly the God who is the author of our stories, then that changes everything for us. We are not just singing songs when we gather together to some historical figure who came and died. We're not just gathering together in the name of some other superhuman, more intellectual than all of us who had some great moral ideas to teach. We are actually coming together to worship the creator of the universe when we call his name Jesus. And that was the identity that Jesus wanted them to see. He wanted them to see that, you see, the change that you long for is not going to come from something inside of you, from trying harder, performing better. It's actually going to come from you being connected to something bigger, to ultimate reality. And so what happens on the mountain is screaming, pay attention, pay attention. Look here and see the transfigured Jesus. And when you read the story from that point on, everything else that happens in Jesus' life and everything else that happens after that in the New Testament is the apostles and the disciples helping us to see this ultimate reality of Jesus. Helping us to see that, you know what, the person, the person that you're looking to, the God that you're drawing your attention to when you gather together, when we meet in a moment like this, cares about your story and wants to do something about a disfigured world. That's who he is. That's who he is. And so the, that, if, if, if that is truly Jesus, C.S. Lewis said that any person who walked into the world and said the things that Jesus said and did the, th the things that Jesus did introduces us to a trilemma. That person is either a madman, the, a madman, the level of a poached egg. Uh, he's either the devil himself or that person is the God of all the universe. And so C.S. Lewis says, Jesus, like in this moment of the transfiguration, presents an option to us, a question to us about his identity. And that question that he presents invites us to respond. And we're invited to respond in three ways. The first thing is that we're invited to see him for who he is. We are told that the disciples, when they went up to the mountain and they saw Jesus, something about them in the Gospel of Mark said they became very afraid because what they were seeing was something that could completely transform and flip their lives upside down. It was something that, that could make them actually begin to wrestle with 
the realities that they had seen, something that could ask them, make them question how they, are, how they were living their lives, how they were experiencing every single arena of what was going on in their lives. They were not just encountering something neutral. And so Jesus was inviting a response with how the disciples saw him. And the question for us is, how do you see Jesus? Do you see him for who he is? Or do you see him as one more option to choose from as we navigate life? Do you see him as something convenient or comfortable? Or do you see him as the one who actually speaks all truth, speaks all love, ultimate reality for where your life is supposed to go? The second response that the, the invitation of the scripture that we just read in Matthew 17 invites us to is the words that God says when the cloud descends where the disciples are. So we are told that Peter started to speak and Peter was just guys for um, after a meeting ends, if you say anyone with any question and then the room is quiet and then he says, mine is not a question, it's just a comment. Um, and so he, Peter says, when he sees Jesus and Moses and Elijah, he says, Lord, it's so good that we are here. Thank you for gathering us here. I've always wanted to do that in a lift. Anyone... Like you just, when you're in a lift with other people, you, you, you guys don't feel the urge to say like something. So Peter was that guy. And, and he says, Lord, it's so good that we are here. Let us make three shelters, three tents, three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And what Peter was saying in this moment is he was putting Jesus as a contemporary to the other voices that had come to reveal and to speak about God. You see, in the world that we live in, in a world like ours, we constantly find ourselves bombarded by voices that seek to tell us how to experience the good life. All of us find ourselves hearing noise and voices that seek to tell us. And it's possible for us to place the voice of Jesus among many voices in the same way Peter asked to build a tent and a shelter for, for uh, Peter asked to build a tent and a shelter for Jesus among Moses and Elijah. It's possible for us to hear the words of Jesus and to say that and to weigh them against this, the cultural trends of our day and to weigh them against the opinions of our parents to weigh them against the questions that, uh, that our culture, the direction our culture is pushing. But notice what happens in that moment. We're told that while Peter was speaking, God interrupted. God is just like, Peter, shh. Pause. Just there. A cloud came down and God speaks the same words that he spoke at Jesus' baptism. He says, what about Jesus? This is my son who I love and with him I am well pleased. But then it adds these three extra words that tell us what our posture is to be when we see Jesus. What does it say? Listen 
to him. That the words of Jesus are not to be weighed at the same level with the same authority as the words of our culture. So do we really believe when Jesus says the things that he says, when he says that I am the vine and you are the branches? When he says that I have come to give you life and life in its fullness, are those words that, are those empty words or are they the words that we actually hold on to as we navigate a disfigured world? Because seeing Jesus for who he is demands a response from us. And the response that the Father invites us to is, he says, listen to him. That, and it's not listening in the sense of just hearing, it's actually allowing our lives to be completely transformed, to be completely shaped, to be counterformed by the words of Jesus. So that when we hear him say something, we take it to heart and we begin to reorient our lives so that that is the truth and the reality for us. And then the third and final response that the scripture invites us to is we are told that when the, when the disciples heard the voice of God, they fell down on their face and they were completely terrified. But then something happens after the cloud lifts. So the cloud lifts and we're told that Jesus came and touched the disciples and said to them, get up, do not be afraid. You see, we don't just need to see Jesus. We don't just need to listen to him. The thing that will sustain us as we navigate a broken world, the thing that will help us to hold on to the change that we see from the life that Jesus has is continuously encountering the touch of God in our lives. That as we, as we continually put ourselves in spaces where we see him and we hear him, we go down from the mountain, we go back into our lives and we see him touch our families and we acknowledge that. We see him open doors where we have been stuck. We see him give us health and provide for us. And as we acknowledge the touch of God, it continues to sustain us in responding to who he is. And so Jesus draws the disciples to the mountain to reveal his identity and to invite them to respond. We live in a culture that is always rushing, so busy, always running. And the invitation of today's message, the invitation of today's conversation is will you find yourself at the mountain? Will you find yourself at places where you can see Jesus? where you can sing as we sang at the beginning of this gathering, let all the other names fade away. Jesus, take your place. You can hear as we sang a few moments ago just before we heard this word, 
that greater, greater, greater are you than the giants and the mountains, than the struggles, than all that I see that is disfigured. Do you find yourself in places where you get to the mountain and you slow down enough to pause and see Jesus and respond to him. So that you can take a word that you can carry with you through the week. So that you can see the beauty and the majesty of who he is and you can give yourself to him. So that you can experience his touch that transforms everything in and around our lives. And so this week, the invitation to a different kind of fast is an invitation to fast from the speed and the busyness of life and to embrace slowness and pausing. You think you can do that this week? Slow down a bit when you're with your spouse. Slow down a bit before you jump into that work for the day. Pause for a moment and allow the presence of Jesus to invite a response of generosity from your heart at the beginning of the day and a, and a moment of reflection at the end of the day. Because as we see Jesus, then what happens is we begin to be conformed and transformed into his image. We begin to become like him. Paul, who was writing about his encounters with Jesus, said that as we contemplate Jesus, we begin to be transformed from glory to glory into the image of the one son of the true God. So Jesus was transfigured in a moment so that all of our lives could become a journey of transfiguration. So the invitation again pause, slow down, find yourself at the places you see him and respond with listening and respond with experiencing his touch. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much because you saw the challenges of our world and our life, the disfigured reality of our humanity. And you decided to step in and give us a picture of transfiguration. So Lord, we pray right now for all the moments in our lives where we have been hoping and longing for change. Lord, we pray for those moments where we have seen the broken pieces 
and we are feeling the disappointment bearing us and weighing us down. We ask Lord once more would you be transfigured in our lives? Would we see you for who you truly are and would that image draw us into the reality of what you are doing in changing us to wholeness? Lord, I pray for families here that are desiring your touch. Would you touch them once again? Lord, I pray for those of us who are longing to hear your voice. Our ears are attentive. Would you speak now to us? Lord, I pray for those of us who've grown comfortable and we've stopped seeing the majesty and the beauty of who you are. That Lord, today you would open our eyes anew that we would see you, Jesus. And as all of that happens, that we would begin to celebrate the work of your transformation in our lives. That we would sing with joy, that we would rejoice as we navigate tension, that we would celebrate because you have won the ultimate victory and it is finished. So help us, Lord. Fill us with your presence and empower us with your spirit to walk down the mountain into our lives with confidence of your word saying, get up, do not be afraid. And to face our very lives with your goodness, your kindness, your love and your grace, your peace and your freedom going before us and shaping our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.